Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. And Lord, we just want to, we just want to meet you. We need to hear from you. We need to hear from your Holy Spirit. For we all have issues. We all have a desperately wicked heart as we're going to see even this morning. And so Lord, we do pray for, for that tragedy this past week and we don't make light of it. But Lord, there's a tragedy happening every single day. And what are our politicians doing about it? What are we doing about it? How can we educate people? How can we raise awareness? We just want to see you glorified, Lord. And we know according to your word that there's going to be a departing from the faith. So we're not surprised. We just know your son's coming back soon. So Lord, help us to be a part of that faithful remnant and to reach out to others with the truth that you don't condone any lifestyle of sin. That's why we're called to be holy because you are holy. Not for self-righteous purposes, but just to be right with you. So Lord, lift our eyes to your throne room even this morning as we go over your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. There are two scenarios about this psalm. It was during his time out in the desert, a wasteland, a place where hardly anything grows, a Judean desert being chased by King Saul, possibly up to 10 years, or it was during that short time of running from his son Absalom during Absalom's rebellion. The first scenario is the one that most scholars adhere to, so that's what we'll focus on as we study this psalm this morning. So verses 1 and 2. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Now as we read this here, O God, you are my God, David proclaims what we would call the obvious. It's kind of like being born in America. You're a Christian, right? You're born in America. No. David proclaims his own personal choice that God is his God. Because the world offers many gods, but there is only one God that is real and eternal. That is so important for you and I to focus on with people that we deal with on a regular basis. There is only one God. So even though he was in the desert, and it seemed like nothing was going his way, David made a commitment to seek after his God. Notice that, oh God, you are my God, personal. Not that I was born in Israel, I'm a Jew, so that makes me a believer, that makes me have a relationship with you. No, just like being a more born in America does not give me a personal relationship with Christ. It's something that I have to do. Life was hard, very difficult at this time of David's life. So what helped him through that very difficult time? This is the answer for you and me. Is he clung to the fact that God was faithful and that God would keep his promise in placing him over the kingdom of Israel. And in his usual expressive way, David shows us that there is a spiritual side to hunger and thirst. Now Jesus made this reference in Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which is what I mentioned earlier before the study. 
Not for self-righteousness, like the Pharisees and the scribes of Jesus' day, but for righteousness, being right with God and also being right with others. That's loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and it's loving your neighbor as you love yourself. So you and I, we are to seek after that righteousness. For Jesus says, he says, as we do that, and how can we do that? Through prayer, through reading your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, through being in fellowship with like-minded believers as you are this morning, but also outside of just once a week, really getting involved with people's lives and letting others be involved with you. What does Jesus guarantee? For they shall be filled. You are going to be right with God. And you will be able to rewrite with others. And David here, we see in these verses, to me, if he's in the wilderness, he was looking back at that sanctuary. That place of refuge from the busyness of life that we've often talked about. Now, as, as I read these verses here, so I looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. As we move through the Psalms, I love the fact that David writes lyrics that are painfully true, but are uplifting as well. Painfully true. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. That is painfully true. That sometimes we as believers do not want to admit. Because as believers, everything's supposed to be happy, hunky-dory. We're not supposed to have any problems because we're a child of the king. No. No, that's not true. And David here expresses this for you and me in so many ways. And then as I was thinking about that, because this is a psalm or a song, you know, there are so many songs that when you listen to them, they're depressing. They're literally depressing. They don't cause a person to seek after life, but sometimes actually cause people to think about taking their lives. No, David is seeking after God in the midst of the desert, and he does that by starting out his day with God. Notice, early will I seek you. So let's just remind ourselves that we need to seek after God regularly and early on in the day to set the tone for the rest of the day. And I would very much encourage you about the music that you listen to. Make sure that you're listening to godly music, inspiring music that's getting your eyes back onto heaven. That is so important. Verses 3 through 5, because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. You know, here we see a wonderful relationship between God and one of his children. Because David had experienced firsthand God's kindness towards him. And it's another reason why David commanded his soul to praise the Lord even in the midst of trials and tribulations. Again, that's a key for you and me. You see, the lifting up of the hands. Notice there in verse 4, the end of it, I will lift up my hands in your name. You know, it's a biblical sign of surrender. But it's also a universal sign that is recognized in every language, anywhere you go, any country you go. If, if you're having issues and a policeman's walking towards you, I highly recommend you put both of your hands up in the air. Because that's the universal sign. I don't have anything on me. I, I, I don't understand you. 
My hands are right here. You see my hands. And what do they know you're doing? You're surrendering. Whether they're low or whether they're high, the, the, it's obvious what you're doing. It's a hard thing to do for us, though, as people when we come into a church because it's also a universal sign even within the church that we surrender. We sing songs of surrender. But here's the issue. Pride will neutralize surrender where humility will facilitate surrender. Again, if this is during that time of David's being chased, he's in his 20s. And we are very prideful in our 20s. Hopefully by the time we get into our 40s, 50s, 60s, humility has has taken over and dominates us now. But if we don't surrender that aspect of our personality to God, even in our 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, pride can be a major stumbling block for us. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to neutralize that. You see, David had learned how to surrender, and because of that, he found himself satisfied even when he was out in the wilderness being chased by a madman. And as we think about his situation, there's no doubt that he was lacking physical food, but his soul, but his soul was satisfied. You know, here's a huge principle that Christians, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can arrive at. This is you and me. To be satisfied with the Lord and His ways, even when everything is going wrong. We can still be satisfied in our soul, knowing that God has a plan and a purpose, even though everything is going wrong. God has a plan and a purpose. But that's not easy to arrive at. It does take studying the Word of God, And knowing that God truly does work all things together for the good. I mean, that's an easy verse to throw out when things are going well. But do we really believe it and cling to it when things are not going well? Is that one of the verses that we go to? Most of the time, no. But it is one that we do need to go to. Even when things are going bad, no, God has a plan. God has a purpose. Uh, Verses 6 through 8 when I remember you on my bed, I meditate you on I meditate on you in the night watches. You see the Jewish people, the night watches were from six PM to ten PM, from ten PM to two AM, and then two AM to sunrise. Those were the night watches of the Jewish system. And so David's saying, when I meditate on you in the night watches, because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand, and the right hand as we know in the Bible is always symbolic of strength. Your right hand upholds me. It upholds me. And I find it interesting. I find it interesting that the enemy likes to mentally attack in the dark, in those quiet times of our lives. And I don't know about you, but but I've also find it interesting that sometimes you can almost hear your heart beating. You feel such a dread maybe coming upon you. So what did David do during those quiet times? Well, he purposely meditated upon God, which is what brought him peace, again, even in the midst of turmoil. And I know this is repetitive, and you might think, well, that's the, you just didn't you just say that? Well, didn't just David say that? 
Why? Because we need to hear it over and over and over again so that when it happens, just like anything else, whatever you might be doing, you burn it in your brain so that when something happens, you instantly, without even necessarily thinking about it, do what you've already burned into your brain. Quoting a verse, going to the Word of God, lifting up a prayer. But that does take habit forming. It does take purposefulness. He purposely meditated upon God. You see, God had been his help in the past, so David had no problem seeking shelter under the protective hands of God. Because God was with David, and David was with God. He was following God's plan for his life, and so David was able to say that God would be able to hold him up. Did you hear that? He was following God's plan for his life. So if we as believers are making poor choices out of the will of God, out of the Bible, and then all of a sudden something happens and we go, well, where's God? I thought God was taking care of me. Well, he will take care of you, but he's not going to bless your sin. He won't bless my sin. So all of a sudden, you know, we, we get this concept in our mind that, that God loves us and God's going to be there for us. So I'm just going to, you know, tweak the scriptures a little bit so that I can sin. And then we wonder where God is. Well, it's just that simple. God is not going to bless our sin. You see, I've shared this often, but it's vital to remember what God has done for us in our lives. And the more we do that, the more peace we will have in our lives. You see, we need to get our eyes off of the problem. And again, this is very hard for us to do. And keep our eyes on the solution. And again, I'm not a real deep, deep pastor. I like keeping things basic because I'm not the brightest bulb on the porch. So I have little things like this in my head. Okay, there's a big problem in front of me. What am I going to do? I'm going to look past the big problem and look to the solution, who is God. It's just that simple for me. Maybe it's not for you. I encourage you to make it simpler. Because you can overthink and overthink and overthink and overthink. And all of a sudden, you've just wound yourself up into a tizzy. And where's God? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's there somewhere. But then we go right back to it. And we just keep thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. How good is that going for you? Let me just ask you a simple question. How good is that? How's that working out for you? After years and years and years, how how is that helping your health? How's that helping your mental health? Well, it's not. Do you think you should change then maybe a little bit? Maybe do something different? Maybe really give it over to God in simplicity? Give it a try anyways? Yeah, I should. And as you do that, you're going to see as time goes by, it's going to get easier and easier and easier. And you're just going to become simple. You're going to become simple-minded. Verses 9 through 11, But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. See, I like the fact that David's intimate relationship with God didn't take away the fact that he was still going through problems. He was still going through problems. What it did, though, is it allowed David to turn his oppressors, again, this is a key principle, it allowed David to turn his oppressors over to God and allow God to take care of them. Why? He says it right here. They're going to end up dead. They're going to end up dead. And their lies 
would die with them. You see, David did become king of Israel. And the lies that were spoken about him were dispelled by the truth of his character. Again, that is so important for you as me as believers. You know, we had a conversation the other day with someone and, and they said, yeah, or actually it was at, at the young adults that we had meeting that we had the other night and then we were talking about situations and they go, yeah, some people just look at me and go, well, you're a homophobiac or you hate gays. Okay. Did you ask me if I hate gays? No. You see, that's what people like to do is they like to attack you, to intimidate you. And you have to be bold enough. You have to be loving enough to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. When did I say that? When did, when did I say that? Did I say I hate gays? No. Oh, so you just lied about me. Now I see what you're doing. You're trying to create fear. I'm not homophobic. Where's a homo? I'll talk to him. I'll love him because God loves him. What, what are you talking about? What are you trying to say? You see, the enemy uses fear as a tactic, trying to discredit your character of what? That you're a Christian and that you love people. So let's attack that. No, God loves people, and I love people. And if they're willing to attack you, you need to be willing to stand up for God and say, no, 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 no. God loves them. I love them. Let's have a discussion. I'd love to talk with them. And all of a sudden, that dispels. Well, David's just saying, you know what? Those who are accusing me, falsely accuse me, they're going to die, and so will the lies. Praise God. Just turn them over to God. Psalm 64 to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Now, we don't know when this psalm was written, but once again, it was during a very difficult time in David's life, as we'll see. Hear my voice, O God, in my meditation. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. This word fear here is dread. Dread. It's not a healthy fear of battle or a healthy fear of God, but a gripping fear of those who wanted to kill him. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellion of the workers of iniquity, who sharpen their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. As we see in these verses here, there were those who wanted to kill David. They plotted against him, spoke evil of him, and waited for that perfect time in order to kill him. I would have to say that most of us have never experienced this. So it's it's kind of hard to relate to this idea of total fear or dread. But it was happening in David's life, and he shared it with those who were around him. He also shared his prayer as well. Notice the word preserve there in verse 1. Preserve means to protect, to guard, to watch over. I'm in dread. Not a healthy fear. I am in fear of my life. Even Paul spoke of that in the New Testament. But he says in his prayer, preserve my life from fear of the enemy, from the dread of the enemy, from my emotions going crazy, from my mind going crazy. Preserve me to protect, to guard, to watch over. They encourage themselves in an evil manner. They talk of lying snares secretly. They say, who will see them? They devise iniquities. We have perfected a shrewd scheme. Both the inward thought and the heart of men are deep. 
You see, people often think that they will not get caught, but it does seem to me that most people do get caught. And if they don't, God knows, and they will give an account of that on Judgment Day. But as we encourage one another in the Word, there are those who encourage one another through their wicked deeds as well. The word deep there is, at the end of verse 6 there, is unsearchable. Unsearchable. Got a slide here, Jeremiah 17, 9. You're all familiar with this. Many of you maybe have it memorized. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Do you realize, though, that hasn't changed? Once you receive Jesus as your Savior, that hasn't changed. Now, your heart is being transformed and your lives are being transformed. And those wicked things that you so often do, you're no longer doing But be very careful that you don't ever get to that place of you think you've arrived at perfection. And I'll never have an evil thought. Because your heart is still desperately wicked. Because you are still breathing. Until you take your last breath, then it'll be over. Let's look at Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, 17 through 23. And as you're turning there, let's throw up Proverbs 28.26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. I've got it all together. I'll never fail. I'll never fall. But whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Stay in the word of God. Mark 7, and when he had entered the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And Jesus said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men or mankind, men and women. You might, ladies, you might be thinking, oh good, this is just talking to the guys. I can shut up. No, no. Mankind. For, for from within, out of the heart of mankind, what? Proceed evil thoughts. And this can happen even after you're born again. We wish it wouldn't happen, but unfortunately it can happen. Adulteries fornications, murders. Peter even says in one of his epistles that you as a believer should never, should never have a testimony of being a murderer, of physically killing someone. Peter in his epistle, talking to Christians, says that should never be a part of you. Don't go down that road. So even Peter is saying, this could happen. This could happen to you as a believer. Guard your heart. Thefts, covetousness. What did Paul say? That's what pierced my heart. When I, when I really realized that I am a covetous person, that's what really pierced my heart. Wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride. Notice that, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man or a person. So guys, you and I, as we look back into the psalm, we have to guard our hearts. Verses 7 through 9, But God shall shoot at them with an arrow, suddenly they shall be wounded. 
so he will make them stumble over their own tongue. All who see them shall flee away. All men shall fear and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider his doing. You see, God is a just God, and he will judge justly, as we've often said. Nothing will be hid from him, and he will come to those who think that they have gotten away with something and allow them to be entrapped in their own sin. When that happens, others will step back and acknowledge God's sovereignty and hopefully evaluate their own choices. Verse 10, the righteous shall be glad in the Lord and trust in him. Notice, not trusting in our own heart, but trusting in him. And all the upright in heart shall glory. Let's wrap it up with 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll wrap it up with 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You see, we can trust in the Lord. So let's be glad and rejoice in Him because we serve an awesome God who deserves all the praise and glory. And I think we have seen David do that over and over and over again. And in 2 Corinthians 6, 3, we read this. We give none of no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. You see, for me this morning as a pastor, I, I try to do this. I'm not faultless. I sin just like all of you. But I also wanted to raise your awareness of what is taking place back east in this Lutheran church. Because these scriptures apply to you and me, not just to the pastor, but to every Bible-believing church. And to every Bible-believing church member, which would be all of you. A member. Because a lot of times it's easy. Well, that's just the pastor's responsibility. I don't have to be as holy as the pastor. (laughs) Yeah, right. That our ministry may not be blamed. You have a ministry in your workplace. You may be the only epistle, Christian epistle, that people will see. You have a ministry in your workplace. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. Notice Paul saying we, not just me. In much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses. Because as we read these Psalms, you know, 2,000 years ago, let's make it relevant to today, 3,000 years ago, sorry, 3,000 years ago. Let's make it relevant to today, as this was written 2,000 years ago. In stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true. So Paul is not encouraging deception. He's just making this point. We are falsely accused, but we speak the truth. David was falsely accused. David was speaking the truth. I have no issue against King Saul. As unknown and yet well known. Again, that is very interesting because you might not think that anyone observes your walk in your workplace. You think you're unknown. But as soon as you mess up, boy, are they right there to point that out, right? 
All of a sudden, you're no. I thought you were a Christian. Didn't you go to church this past weekend? Oh, I didn't know you knew me. They're watching us, guys, as unknown yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. That's you and me, guys. That's a description of you and me that we can equate to David. If we're in the wilderness, if we're having a hard time, if everything's out of whack right now, look to God. If you're strong and things are going great, keep looking to God. Because you, I, we have a desperately wicked heart. Desperately wicked heart. And the Holy Spirit, as we surrender, the Holy Spirit will keep that in check. But as soon as we start feeding that whole, that, that flesh, we're opening ourselves up to dangerous lot times. Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. And Lord, we don't ever want to trust in our own hearts, in our own selves. Yes, we want to be responsible. Yes, we do have our responsibilities that we need to do. But Father, we don't want to trust in ourselves. We want to trust in your Holy Spirit. And so we'll knock and seek and ask for even more of your Holy Spirit. So that it would not be about us, but it would always be about you. Father, I thank you and praise you for your word. And I thank you for inspiring a man like David to be so expressive I know for me personally, I'm just not that expressive. But I thank you that I can learn from his life. That I can grow from his experience and, and come to understand your goodness and your faithfulness because of his expressiveness. So Lord, I thank you for that. Stir our hearts, Lord, to learn. You know, maybe you're here this morning as the saints are praying And maybe you don't have a personal relationship with God via Jesus this morning. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time and and you sincerely don't. I mean, you know Jesus. You have a head commitment. I mean, there's no question. You know him in your head. But has your heart surrendered to him? And you say, no. I'd have to say, no, I haven't. I'm going to say a little prayer. And I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. And receive Jesus this morning. For we are in desperately wicked days. And you just can't go to any old church. And hear the word of God. As I just shared this morning. There is a deception that has come upon the church. Be very careful where you fellowship at. If you are seeking out a church. Be very careful. There's a lot of good solid Bible believing churches in our community. Thank God. But not every church that you're going to go to is Bible-believing, solid, on doctrinal faith. So be very careful. But if you've never received Jesus, just pray this simple prayer. God, I am a sinner. I have to confess in hearing that list that Jesus gave 
that I do have a desperately wicked heart. So I need a savior. So God, I ask Jesus right now, because he went to the cross, he died and rose again. He is seated at your right hand. I ask Jesus to be my savior. I ask your Holy Spirit to come within me right now. I don't know what this all means, but I know you'll teach me. And that as you look at me, you see the Holy Spirit. You see the blood of your Son, and then you see me. Thank you for accepting me this morning. And that I can now be and I am, can now call myself your son, your daughter. I am now a child of God. Thank you that I can call you Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for this morning. As we go out into our mission field, Lord, as we cross paths of Christians and non-Christians, Lord, help us to be aware. Help us to be ready to give every person an answer for the hope that we have. To do it in love, to speak the truth in love, but to speak the truth. To not be ashamed of the gospel, but allow you to be glorified in and through our testimony. In Jesus' precious name, amen. While we all stand, guys. God bless you guys. Have a great day, great week. Serve Jesus, guys. Stay focused. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. If you receive Jesus, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. God bless you guys.
serve it, still you give yourself away.